That first Easter morning, those disciples didn't quite know what to think of what they were seeing, of what it all meant. And it may very well be that today some of you sit here and you don't quite get what this is all about. You've maybe understood something of the story, something of the history. You know it's important, but it's not something that has changed your life. It is important to understand that there are billions of people and millions of churches today who are gathering to celebrate this historic event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we need to all understand that this is an important event, and all of us identify with it to some extent. Everyone in this room has a birthday. Everyone acknowledges that year of your birth and the year of your life now based on the fact that it is 2019 A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Every single person in this room and in this world identifies themselves and understands the date of their life because of the life, cross, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the very, the very image of the cross speaks to this reality of what God has done. There is a beginning. There will be an end. God has entered into time and space. The very sign of the cross speaks to this reality. There is a beginning. There will be an end. God has come into space and time to bring salvation. Now, many of us in this room, we, we not only date ourselves by the coming of Christ, we find our purpose. We find our meaning. We find our hope. We find our identity in the life the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but not all of us. And I do think it's important that every one of us understand that what we choose to believe about Jesus Christ, his life, his cross, and his resurrection will determine everything about our life now and our life that is to come. You have an eternal soul. You are going to exist forever. How you exist in this life and in the life to come has everything to do with what you believe about Jesus Christ. That morning, as those disciples were running to the tomb, there was confusion. They had heard that Jesus had been raised. They didn't quite understand it. We read about that event in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, that is John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It has always been funny to me that John wanted that recorded. <laughs> they were running together, but he was first. And, and we, we might temp, be tempted to believe he was bragging, but what he was really doing is he was giving Peter honor, because look at this. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. He was giving Peter honor because where John was afraid to go in, Peter had the courage to go in. To go in and deal with what had happened. To not stand on the outside just wondering, not standing on the outside presuming, Peter chose to, he chose to go in and to deal with the facts. And here were the facts. There was a face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Something had happened intentionally there. This was not some disheveled theft. This was an event controlled by the one who had been raised. There was a, a sense in which he had left everything tidied up 
just the way he wanted it. So when others found it, they would know that this was intentional. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Now, isn't this interesting? Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Isn't it interesting that they did not understand the scripture? These men who had walked with Christ for three years did not understand the scripture. They did not believe fully what Jesus had said. And so I understand that there are some of you here today who are sitting as I sat 31 years ago and the, the life, the, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, though interesting to you, it doesn't really define you. It's not the most important thing about you. It is not your hope. As you sit here today, there is no sense in which you are going to be transformed. It's just not an expectation you have. You, you've come because it's Easter and this is your tradition, or you've come because a family member or a friend has invited you, and we are thrilled that you are here, and you're always welcomed here, but I understand as you sit here now, you're, you're thinking to yourself, I'm glad to be here. This is great, but you know what? I, when I leave, nothing's going to be different about my life. You don't anticipate that. I want to tell you, and I want to be very honest with you, that over the next few minutes, I'm going to try to convince you to believe in Jesus. I'm going to seek to convince you that the Bible is true, and what the promises are have held, and that you yourself can hold them, and that you can have eternal life in Christ. I want to try to convince you of that, and so just know that's my intention, and that is my prayer. Now, some of you are brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are defined by the life, the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You fully intend and expect God to change your life this morning. You anticipate a movement of God's Holy Spirit based on what is sung or what is said or what is prayed, that it's going to impact your soul. It's going to bring conviction or healing, or it's going to stir you in some significant way. And, and you know that going from here, you're going to pursue Christ. You're going to seek him out because he is your life. He is your Lord. He is your love. And I want to let you know, my prayer today is that I can convince you even more so that the scripture is the word of God that Jesus Christ really has overcome sin and death, and you have every reason to have hope. No matter what any of us believe in this room right now, understand, we all matter to God. No matter what your belief system is, and by the way, we all have a belief system, and no matter what it is, I want you to know, God loves you. You, I, we all matter to God. And we're all struggling. I know you look around this room and you think, well, they're not struggling. I mean, look at them. They look great. I mean, I know you look at me and think, my goodness, that man's got it together. <laughs> Why do people laugh at that? I don't get that. But as great as we all look at here's what here's what I know about every single one of us in this room. We're all dealing with some, some level of brokenness. Some of you are dealing with it in the physical realm. I was praying with a couple right before the service who's dealing with the possibility of the death of a loved one, certainly the sickness of it. And, and I know some of you yourselves, you are, feeling, you are feeling the weight of time. 
and, and you have no doubts about the fact that there is less life ahead of you than what is behind you. Some of you are struggling with relational brokenness. There's been something that has created conflict and it has hurt you. You've caused a hurt. Now there's, there's some guilt, there's some shame, there's some pain, and you're dealing with the brokenness of it. This morning, all Christians are grieving because of the attack in Sri Lanka where 160s of our brothers and sisters were killed today because they worship Jesus Christ alone. And we feel the weight of that. We feel the tensions that exist in our country today, politically, racially, socially, all of it mounting, all of it troubling. Why is it here? Why do we have this struggle? Why is this so hard? Because sin has entered the world because there has been pain, but I have good news this morning. There is one who can heal. There is one who can transform. And there is one who is one day going to return, who's going to make all things new, and it will be right again. And I, I ask you, dear friend, to consider whether or not you will be right. You will be ready. You know, years ago, a dear friend of mine was diagnosed with a unique disease, and they told him he was gonna die. We began to pray, and, and tr quite honestly, I, I never for once uh, feared. I had uh, complete confidence that there was going to be a diagnosis, that there was an answer. And sure enough, uh, my friend found a physician who was able to identify the illness and treat it. And he was here Thursday night, and I explained to everyone, he's just as mean and as ornery as he ever was, and his wife said, amen. Now, interestingly, a few weeks ago, a friend of his approached him and said, what was the name of that disease they diagnosed you with? And he told him, and he said, you know what? They just diagnosed me with that. And they said that I only have a matter of months to live, that I will surely die. And my friend said, well, friend, I've got good news. I know a physician that can bring healing. I have a story of restoration and redemption. Here is what you need to do. And at the time, the man said, no, they told me that there's nothing that can be done. I just need to accept what has happened, and I just need to go ahead and die. Thankfully, he came to his senses. Thankfully, he has pursued the treatment, and thankfully, we can pray for his healing and anticipate his healing because he has now gone to the physician that can provide what he needs. Friends, we are all broken because of sin in the world. We are all sick because of sin in the world. But can I tell you, there is a balm in Gilead. There is a healing that we can experience. The great physician, Jesus Christ, has come, and he can heal our soul. He can take away our guilt. He can remove that shame. He can restore relationships. He can give eternal life. But we must believe. And we can believe because of what the Bible has said. Now, I know some of you struggle with that. I know I struggled with that. How can we base our entire belief system on a book that is that old? There have been people that have questioned this thing, right? I mean, haven't you seen the specials on the History Channel? I mean, don't you watch the Smithsonian uh, Channel? Don't you know that there are people that would say that the Bible is not the true Word of God? I understand that. I studied under scholars who told me that. But see, here's something that, that you don't hear. Here's something that doesn't make sense to many of the scholars today. See, the Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings. The Bible is a single story. 
It's a single story that tells of the redemption plan of God. Many of you are hopers here, and you're here often, and you know that the Bible is divided in four sections. Nod your head if you know that. Yes, and so what are those four sections? Let's say it out loud. There is creation, And this Bible tells us and answers for us the very fundamental questions of life. Every person in this room has four fundamental questions. Where am I from? What went wrong? Can anyone fix it? Should I have hope? And the Bible says, yes. The Bible says, where are you from? You've been made in the image of God. You say, well, what went wrong? Sin entered the world. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is there anyone that can rescue us? Absolutely. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, has come to die to take our penalty. He has been raised to defeat death, and the rescue is on, and one day he is going to return. Jesus Christ is ready to return, given the word, and he is going to make all things new. This is the story of the Bible. This explains reality. But let me go on to tell you why I believe it even more so now. You see, I, I, I can't, I, even if I didn't believe in Jesus Christ, it would be so hard for me to deny the authority of scriptures. You see, if you read the Old Testament, you will find hundreds of times when the Bible says that Jesus would come just as he came, that he would be born where he was born, born the way he was born, born at the time he was born, born under the conditions in which he was born. There are hundreds of examples of this, but my favorite and the one that is most compelling and convincing, and for those of you who do not believe the Bible to be the authority, I challenge you. I challenge you right now to, to understand and to see what Scripture says and what Scripture has done. See, in the prophecy of Daniel, Daniel was a prophet that, that lived in the 5th century B.C., and he was in Babylon, and Daniel was given the gift by God to understand visions. And so if you go back and read the book of Daniel, you go to chapter 2, and there is a king who has had a dream, and he wants someone to tell him what it means. Daniel was amongst those who had been trained as, quote-unquote, wise men. So once the wise men were told, hey, the king wants an interpretation of the dream, they came before the king and said, hey, king, tell us your dream. We'll tell you what it means. And the king said, no, 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 no. I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and then I want you to tell me what it means. And the wise men said, no man can do this. It's not possible. It's not mortally possible. But Daniel was there. And Daniel knew the Most High God, and he knew that what is impossible with man is possible with God. So he got alone and prayed, and God spoke to him, and he was able to stand before the king and say, here is what you dreamed, and here is what it means. And the king said, this man knows God. What he said is true. Now, decades later, Daniel had a dream. He had a vision. And although the elements of the dream were different, the meaning was the exact same. See, the, the king had dreamed and been told what, was, what the next 500 years of the future were going to be like. Daniel's dream did the same thing, explain exactly what the next 500 years were going to be like geopolitically in the Middle East. What the dream said was that Babylon, the then existing power, was about to be overthrown. That the, the Medo-Persians were about to take over. And a couple of hundred years after that, there was going to be a leader who was going to come quickly, like, like, like the speed of a leopard, who was going to take over the, the entire region. Of course, Alexander the Great was that leader. It was the Greeks. 
So after Babylon were the Medo-Persians. After that came the Greeks. And what's fascinating about Daniel 7, and to go back and look at it, that the, the prophecy said that at the end of that time that the kingdom would be divided into four parts. And of course, we know at Alexander the Great's death, the, the land was divided amongst four generals. And after the coming of the Greeks would come the coming of the Romans. And that this was going to be a power like the world had never seen, a crushing power like none had ever seen. Now, just imagine, think about in our terms today what this would be like. This would be like someone in 1550 writing and telling the story of North America and naming names, saying, hey, this is what's going to happen with Britain. This is what's going to happen with France. This is what's going to happen with Spain. And this is what's going to come about. There's going to be the United States of America. And this is going to be the world power. And this is what it's going to look like when they are in power. If we found such a book, don't you think we'd pay attention to it? If it was able to explain history that concisely, don't you think we would give it credence? Well, the Bible has done that. The prophecy of Daniel not only spoke of the geopolitical realities that came to be 500 years before they came to be, but they described the one who would come in the midst of the Roman rule. And so we read in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, Jesus' favorite name to describe himself, the son of man. And this one, Jesus, came to the ancient of days, description of the eternal God, the Father. And, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. We know for a fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the time of the Romans, and that he came and defeated sin and conquered death. And now he is the ruler of all at the right hand of God, being praised and glorified. And because of what he has done, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will know his name and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what we read some 60 years after the birth of Jesus. The apostle Paul, writing from prison to the church at Philippi says, and he, Jesus, was in the form of God but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He knew that we couldn't understand God simply because of what was written by the prophets. So God himself, as promised, became flesh. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This was prophesied 550 years before he came. It is clear. It is now recorded history. It was once in the future. And this is good news for all who will believe. This is good news that God has come. This good news is what we call the gospel. 
Do you know the gospel? We have it up on the screen. The gospel is the good news that Jesus paid for our sin with his death and has been raised from the dead to forgive and to live in all who repent and believe in him. That is the gospel. Do you believe it? Some of you are good church people and you don't believe it. I talked to a young man last night who has given his life to Christ now who said, I've been to church, but this isn't what they taught me. They didn't teach me the gospel. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people in churches today with well-intended uh, teachers who are telling them something that's not entirely true. As a matter of fact, if we took a poll this morning, because when they take national polls, here's what they find. When people are asked in North America, how does someone get to go to heaven? There are a large percentage of people that say, well, they have to be good. They have to do good things. They have to be nice people. They have to earn the right to enter heaven. And friends, that is a lie. None of us can earn that right. Those who believe that way are like some of you here who, who believe that way are like this widow I heard about this week. This widow, as her husband was dying in a prolonged time, her husband said to her, Please, whatever you do, whatever corners you have to cut, make sure you continue to pay my life insurance policy. Make sure you pay for this policy. Well, he died, and she continued to pay for the policy. Five years after his death, she called the life insurance company, and the, uh, there was a young man on the other line, and she said, young sir, I, I want to tell you how sorry I am. My husband told me to continue to pay for this policy, but I can't afford it anymore. I, I'm out of money, I'm out of resources, and I just can't afford to continue to pay for the policy. And the young man said, ma'am, I am so confused. You've got to help me. What are you doing again? She said, I am paying for my husband's life insurance policy. And the young man said, ma'am, you don't owe us any money. We owe you money. You see, there is a death benefit. That policy has already been paid in full. All you have to do is request it and receive it, and the benefit of your husband's death will provide for all that you need. Jesus Christ has provided all that we need. The cost of our sin has been paid in full. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the last thing he said was, it is finished. It is paid for. There is a death benefit that comes with the death of Jesus Christ because he has paid the penalty for our sin, our sin can be forgiven. Because he has been raised, we can live forever. We can have his life. But some of you sit here today and you're trying to pay for your own sin. You're trying to make up for the wrong that you've done, thinking that somehow you can make things right with God. And can I tell you, things have already been made right with God. God himself has justified. God himself has met the just demands of his own law. All we have to do is to receive the benefit. Have you received the benefit of the death of Jesus Christ? Understand, that's why he came. Listen, this is what Jesus said. 
From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus knew why he'd come. He knew that he had come to die for sins, but on the third day he would be raised. And Jesus didn't say that just one time. He said that over and over. Let me give you a few examples. Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 7, 23, Matthew 20, 18 through 19, Luke 9 through 22, uh, 9, 22, Luke 24, 7. Jesus called a shot. Just as Daniel prophesied that there would be the Son of Man who would come in the time of the Romans who would save sinners by his death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus Christ said, I am the one. I am the one the prophet spoke of. I am the one who will die, but three days later be raised. Now the disciples, they didn't quite get it. Again, going back to verse 9 of John chapter 20, as yet they did not understand the scriptures. But I'm going to tell you who did. Those who were concerned that Jesus' words were true were the people who put him to death. Listen what they said, the Pharisees. Listen what they said, the Sadducees. What they said uh, about Jesus on Saturday after that he had been crucified and buried on Friday. The next day, that is the day after preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. They did everything human possible to protect that tomb. But can I tell you, those soldiers could not hold Jesus back. Can I tell you that death could not hold him? That Jesus Christ has been raised. He not only paid the penalty for sin as he said he would, but he has conquered death through the resurrection. And now all of us who, who believe, we can say as Paul did, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it was promised of him that he would come and save and defeat death. Jesus himself said, I will be crucified, and I will be raised on the third day. But he said more than that. Jesus also said, when I leave, I will send the helper. The Holy Spirit is going to come and give you new birth and seal you until the day of judgment. And guess what? He came. And I can't wait for next Sunday because we are about to spend the next seven Sundays learning about the Holy Spirit, all in preparation for June 9th when we are going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday. I know you're all here today because it's Easter Sunday, and that's a good thing, and that's a big deal. But can I tell you what also is a big deal? The Holy Spirit has come. And we need to celebrate him just as much as we celebrate the resurrection. So make plans, June 9th, and all the weeks preceding up to that. I know this may come as a shock to some, but you can actually come to church on another day other than Easter. And so this is good news. <laughs> and so we want to invite you to come back and to learn about the Holy Spirit. But, but not only did he say, hey, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, but Jesus said this, I am going to return and I'm going to make everything new. Jesus is right now ready to return. 
One of my favorite scriptures was often quoted by my pastor, Brother Bob, John 14. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Not only did Jesus promise that he would die and be raised, not only did he promise that the Spirit of God would come, he also promised that he would come again. And Jesus Christ is coming again. Are you ready? Are you ready to be judged by God? Are you someone who has trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? You know, to understand this is not complicated. Can I tell you a three-year-old can understand this? And by the way, all of you parents who have children who are right now drawing pictures, please post them on social media and, 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 then, and then, you know, whatever you do to let me know that that happens because I love these pictures because they get it. As a matter of fact, there's a three-year-old. My, my daughter works with, with children, and uh, she told me yesterday, she said, Dad, you won't believe this. I, I was working with a three-year-old, and she told me five times in no uncertain terms the gospel. I said, what do you mean she told you the gospel? She said, Dad, this little girl, three years old, she said, Miss Kinsey, do you know that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and on the third day he was raised, and he's coming again? And McKenzie said, well, I sure do. Well, she told her this five times. As a matter of fact, one time they were playing and she was looking at McKenzie's ears. She goes, I'm gonna pretend I'm a doctor. So she looked in her ears and she looked in her nose and her mouth and she said, okay, Miss Kinsey, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is I'm a bad doctor and you're gonna die. <laughs> but she said, I got good news. If you'll trust in Jesus Christ, you'll go to heaven because Jesus Christ died and on the third day he was raised. Isn't that great? Three-year-old. Three-year-old. So look, there's one thing to understand the facts. There's another thing to receive the reality. There's one thing to know the information. And here's what I know about many of you in this Well, if you've been half paying attention at this point, everyone in this room now knows the gospel. You know that God promised that he would come and he did. You know that you're a sinner. Every one of us knows that. But you know that Jesus has paid for your sin, that he will forgive you, that he'll give you new life. And one day he's gonna return and you can be his child in his kingdom. You can live for him now and forever. But here's the deal. You must receive him. Let's all bow our heads together. Father God, here's what I know. I know that you are a good and gracious God. And I know that you will forgive us all our sin if we will ask. Lord, I know that there are many in this room right now who would say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I have been forgiven. As a matter of fact, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, just to give God praise, if you have repented of your sin and you believe in Jesus Christ and you know you are saved, just hold your hand up and say, praise you, Father. Praise you, God. Hold your hand up and just say, give, I give you praise, God, for saving me. Lord, I thank you for these who can give testimony to the fact that they have been saved. But I also know there are many in this room who have never been saved. And if you have never been saved and you want to be saved, if you want Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to live in you and take you into his heaven one day, then do this right now, right there where you're sitting, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I know you're alive. Forgive me of my sin. Take over my life. I'm gonna live for you. If you prayed that prayer, 
you are forgiven. And the Lord God is gonna live in you. Your next step is baptism. And before you get out of here today, you need to talk to me or you need to talk to someone who has a name tag on and let them know that you need to know more about how to believe and be baptized and belong. If this morning you ask Christ to be your Savior, again, every head bow, every tongue, every, every eye closed, if you would, just hold your hand up and say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. Amen. Amen. We're about to sing songs of celebration. I want to invite those of you who are just saved just to come get on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Some of you are my brothers and sisters in Christ, but you have dishonored God with the way you've been living. He's alive in you, and you've been so rude to him. You have not honored him. You've not spoken to him in ages. You have not gathered in his house. You have not obeyed him. You need to come get on your knees today and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I recommit my life to you right now. And there's others of you who need help in your relationships. You need healing. You need strength. I got good news. Christ is alive. He will heal you. Let's stand together. Father God, hear the prayers of those who come and thank you today and ask for your help. Hear as we praise you as they come. Come and pray.